You are listening to a sermon by Pastor Christopher Sally of New Life Christian Fellowship Church. Talking today about the first, the last, and the what? And the only. Amen. It's been our privilege over the last few months. It's been my privilege, I should say, uh, to preach out of a sermon series called The Ins and Outs of God. The ins and outs of God. And, and for those that are with us for the first time today, this is the last sermon series, a sermon in this series. And previously, uh, we looked at the, the intros and the outros of several New Testament books and just to see what theology we could glean. What could we learn about how the different writers approach this, how they greet it and how they conclude it? The letters in the New Testament. We started out looking at the beginning of Romans and we uh, preached a sermon called A Peak at the Gospel where Paul was giving us in his introduction much more than the standard intro. Paul got up and if he was at a, a meeting he was supposed to probably just simply say hi I'm Paul and everybody would say hi Paul but Paul went in deep and told them a little bit more about the gospel everything that he was going to share with them in the 16 ver- uh, 16 chapters in Romans he condensed in his first six verses in, in Romans chapter one so we looked at that then we looked at the end of Hebrews and and we we uh talked about how to do what you need to do and we and we were reminded of God's power and God's peace and his provision and and protection and then we looked at the beginning of the book of John and what was able to preach out of a sermon called who is he and what is he to you come on somebody and then we and 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 then we looked at the beginning of the book of Hebrews and and then we leveraged the prophet most deaf and talked about Jesus being the undeniable. Amen. <laughs> yes. All of the details that make Jesus undeniable that we might find him precious. Amen. And then in the beginning of first John, it was, let me, let me tell it. It was a proclamation about Jesus that, that the apostle John had. And we were reminded that that proclamation should be personal and it should be powerful and it should be purposeful and it should be pleasing. And then at the end of First John, we talked about doing the right thing. And then at the end of the book of Jude, we talked about the focus of our faith. And we looked at those three verses near the end of June, and we concluded that we need to praise him for what he does. We need to worship him for who he is. We need to acknowledge him for why he's great, and we need to bless him for when he rules. And when does he rule? Both now and forever. Amen. Then we looked at the, be- the beginning of the book of Titus and we talked about the right stuff. Amen. That you need to devote yourself to the right cause and you need to desire the right outcome and you need to drive towards the right uh, goal and you need to depend on the right person so that you might declare the right message. Amen. And so we talked about that and we reminded about that. And then we looked at the beginning of the the first uh, and first Peter and we talked about how our God gets down. Amen. And at the end of Second Timothy, we talked about what things you can expect to see in ministry. And then we concluded last week talking about the book of uh, looking at the book of Colossians at the end and talking about the 11 folks you meet at church. 
And now we look at the book of Revelation, which has both an intro and an outro in the same passage. Start and concludes in the, in the same passage, I guess, with the, when he says, glory forever and ever, amen. Just a little bit about the, the book of Revelation so that we level set. This is, this is the revelation, the apocalypse, as it's in, known in Greek, where we get our English word apocalypse, amen. Uh, this is a disclosure of something which has previously been hidden or unknown. Amen. And as much as it certainly is a revelation of future events, it is actually concentrated and centered more importantly on a person. And his name is Jesus Christ. At his second advent, Jesus Christ is depicted not in humiliation, but in exaltation. Every vision and depiction of him in this book is one of power and majesty and glory. Even a cursory look through the book of Revelations reveals that he's the, he's the main theme, if you will. He's called the faithful witness and the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, the alpha and the omega, the one who is and was and is to come, the, the almighty, the first and the last, the, the living one, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, the, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword, the, the son of God. God, the one who has eyes like flames of fire and feet like burnished bronze, the one who has seven spirits of God and the seven stars, the one who is holy, the one who is true, the holder of the key of David, who opens it, the door that no one will shut and shuts the door that no one can open. He's the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the lamb of God, the word of God, the Lord holy and true, the one who is called faithful and true the king of kings and lord of lords and this book reveals the majesty of jesus in poetry and song and symbolism and prophecy in it the heavens are open and its readers see as stephen did when he was being martyred a vision of the risen and glorified son of god And verse 1a, the first verse of the book of Revelation, starts out very simply, and it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen? And then chapter 22 and verse 16 tells us it's also the revelation from Jesus Christ. It's a revelation of him, but it's also the revelation that is, is from him. And, and this part, I hope you appreciate this because it's saying a lot. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him. That just made the back of my head itch. It's the revelation that God gave him to show us what must take place and so how did God 
give it to him? What, what, what do we mean when we say God gave him this, this revelation? You, you got to flip over and you got to look at Philippians chapter 2 and you got to look at verses 5 through 11. Familiar passage of scripture, I know, but let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, not thought it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself a form of a servant and became obedient and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man he what humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross wherefore God hath highly exalted him and have given them a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It, this revelation, this revelation of him in glory and majesty and power is because he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. This is the reward that the second person of the Trinity receives because he was obedient to God the Father and did what he was supposed to do. He did his job. He was humbled. That's why he is exalted. You have a second advent because he completed the work of the first advent. His humiliation leads to his, <laughs> his exaltation. name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father <laughs> and to show his servants what must soon take place and then John says in verse 4 right in the middle of our text to the seven churches in the province of Asia. So now we know that the writer is John. And it's to the seven churches. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Those are the seven churches. And he starts to give what we know at this point is a fairly standard greeting. But there's nothing standard about the contents of the greeting. But he says, grace and peace to you. And then it gets really interesting. Because he says, grace and peace to you. And then now we're seeing this Trinitarian emphasis. Amen. He talks about grace and peace to you in a similar way that the apostle Peter did in first Peter chapter one you you may recall in in first Peter chapter one and I guess I'll just flip to it because it's it's first Peter he says he says elect according to the foreknowledge of God the father through sanctification of the spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ father spirit son amen he said that, that right there in that greeting, anytime you see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit together, you got to understand that Trinitarian uh, uh, emphasis is there. And you need to be reminded that God is three in one. 
Amen. And first Peter talks about the manner of which God establishes relationship. That's God, the father, the means by which God cultivates relationship. That's through the spirit and the mark for which God uh, pursued relationship. That's for obedience to the son. Amen. Amen. There's so much theology we pick up in a simple greeting from the apostle Peter and the simple greeting that we have here with John. John says, I've been bringing you greetings, grace and peace to you, but it's from him who is and who was y'all not with me from him who is from him who was and from him who is to come I want you to know beloved today he's talking obviously about God the Father. And then he says, and from the seven spirits before his throne. And we'll talk about that. Now he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And he says, and from Jesus. I said, I'm going to bring you greetings from everybody in the Trinity. But let's look at God the Father. Who is? Who was? Hmm. And is to come. It's an affirmation of God's sovereignty, beloved. It's an affirmation of his oversight. And the takeaway that you have to have is he's got it all covered. Amen. It's a view of God in a way that we can understand and process it. It's a view of time, of God in time, even though we know that he sits outside of time in eternity. And God is not confined by time, but time is our most precious resource. Time is how we're processing things. Everything that we process is really about past and present and future and God uses that rhythm of past and present and future to encourage us and to teach us about himself and we understand it he even tells John in verse 19 of of Revelation he says in, in chapter 1 right therefore what you have seen what is now and what will take place later. And that's literally how the book of Revelation is divided. To, to, to take place what, what you have seen, what is now when he addresses those seven churches and then start telling them starting in chapter four what is coming. Again, there's a rhythm that's there. And since time is what we, we have, we often use that lens of past and present and future. For lots of folks, I'll just say this parenthetically, for lots of folks, when we think about the past, we're, we're disappointed with the past. And in the present, there's displeasure with the present, there's disappointment with the past, and there's distress when we start thinking about the future. Come on, somebody. Distra- uh, disappointment, distress, and, and, and displeasure. But believers should say we should simply be conscious of the past. Conscious of it. We know it's there and we'll leverage what we need to in, in, in order to be content in the present. You see, so many of us, it's not about being conscious of the past. We're controlled by the past. Amen. We're consumed by the past. We're constrained by the past and we're corrupted by the past. But you just need to be conscious of the past so that you can be content in the present and then you need to be confident in the future. Past, present, future. 
And when we think about our Savior, there's a, there's a rhythm that's there where we can get excited about the past, the present, and the future. When we think about Psalm chapter 22 and we see Jesus as that suffering and crucified shepherd that's in the, in the past. And that's Psalms 22 where he's the good shepherd that laid down his life for the sheep. Then we can look at Psalms 23 in the present and when he is that, that, that great shepherd and he's that serving and caring shepherd that handles us and, and, and touches us and heals us and guides us and directs us in the present and then we can get excited when Psalms 24 comes when we see him not as the serving caring shepherd but we see him as the sovereign conquering shepherd not the good shepherd not the great shepherd of Hebrews 10 but the chief shepherd of 1 Peter 5 past present future you could do the same thing when we look at the great salvation that God has provided us. In the past, he's given us justification. In the present, we're working out that sanctification. And in the future, we're going to see glorification. Amen? We, when you talk about sin, we have been, uh, we talk about being released from the penalty of sin in the past. And right now, we're being delivered from the power of sin in the present until we get to glory and we'll be delivered from the very presence of sin. And when we deal with the devil in the past, we've been delivered from the dominion of the devil because we've been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And right now we are being working out our salvation with fear and trembling. We're being able to be liberated from the, the domination of the devil. And praise God that he's got it covered that in the future we'll be able to be delivered from the destiny of the devil. And you know how you can be encouraged? And all of those things and say that with confidence, like I said, to be content in the present and be confident in the future. Why? Because he is the God who is, who was, and who is to come. That's how you can know that that rhythm of past, present, and future is covered because he's the God that is, who was, and is to come. And praise God that we've got a God that's got it all covered. That's why you have to be just simply conscious of the past. Let it inform some things in your life. Learn the lessons that we need to learn. But we don't need to be discouraged or disappointed by the past. He's delivered us from so many things. We're not the people that we used to be. Praise God. If you dragged your raggedy old self in here today, trust me, we would not like you. Be conscious of the past, but that allows us, because we know he's got it all covered, to simply be conscious of the past, but content in the the Apostle Paul said, I've learned the secret to content. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So whether I am abased or I abound, I know whatever state I am, therewith to be content. That's how a believer carries time. 
conscious of the past, content in the present, and confident in the future. For I know that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I am confident that I will see his face. I am confident that I will look like him. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is preset, but beloved, we know that we'll see him. That's confidence. Confidence in the right thing, not in yourself, not in your flesh, but in the God that you serve. So I love that title. He is the God who is, who was, and is to come. And then he says, I'm going to bring you greetings from the seven spirits before his throne. And again, this depiction, as you understand, is father and spirit and son is the seven spirits. It's not seven spirits. It's probably better to think of it as the sevenfold spirit. Of God. It is the Holy Spirit. That's a reference to the Holy Spirit. And that number of seven is a number of completion and it is a number of perfection. Amen. And so to to talk about it being a sevenfold spirit is is just a depiction of the Holy Spirit in his fullness. Amen. Oftentimes we'll look at Isaiah chapter 11 and verse two. And it said, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him talking about jesus the spirit of wisdom the spirit of understanding the spirit of counsel the spirit of might the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the lord so there's an indication again of that seven fold spirit in isaiah chapter 11 and verse 2 but we're talking about the holy spirit and then again the apostle john is saying he is the spirit and and grace and peace to you from the seven spirits and we can look at hebrews chapter 10 and 29 when the holy spirit is referred to as the spirit of grace Amen. And then you can look in in Galatians 5 and 22 and understand that the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, temperance and meekness against such. There is no law. One of the fruits of the spirit is peace. And so the, the Holy Spirit is a producer of the peace. Again, as I mentioned to you before, the God, the father is the initiator of relationship. God, the son, is the facilitator of relationship. And God, the Holy Spirit, is the collaborator of relationship. He's the one that'll work with a brother. Amen? You need somebody to, come on, somebody. Don't you need somebody to work with you a little bit? That's the Holy Spirit. I I, I got him. Let, Let me talk to him. Let me help him. Let me counsel him. Let me comfort him. Let me convict him. Let, let me let me give them a, a spirit of cohesion so that they'll work together. Let, 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 let me work. Work with a brother. Amen. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He's a collaborator of relationship. And so, again, John is saying, I'm going to bring you greetings from him, him who was, who is and is to come. But also he, uh, from the, 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 the seven spirits that are before the throne. And then he says, and Jesus Christ. The main attraction, the main person that needs to be 
revealed. The one, again, who came in, it was from humility in, the, in his first, and humiliation and humility in his first advent, and you see him as he is in power and glory in exaltation because he did what he was supposed to do. And then we see two things here that I just want to emphasize. Huh. He says it's from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. She said, let me tell you who he is. Now, the Apostle John goes through that long list that I gave you in the introduction of all that Jesus is. But he said in these verses, as is the intro, let me just tell you, he's the faithful witness. And what does it mean really to be the faithful witness? He always testifies to truth. Amen. That's what he does. And, and, and as he addresses the churches, you see that because he says, I, I, I know you and I really know you. Here's what you are doing right. Here's where you're lacking. And if you don't change this, this is what's going to happen. He stands in truth. Why? Because he literally is truth. Amen. And so he's the faithful witness to himself because he is truth. Again, in John chapter 18 and verse 37, you'll see that Pontius Pilate was there. And he says, saying unto him, art thou the king? Jesus answered, thou sayest that I am a king. To this end, I was born. And for this cause, I came into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. And everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. He said, I am truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He is the faithful witness. And what is he witnessing to? He's witnessing to, to truth. And again, that speaks to his authenticity. Amen. He is the real deal. He is the genuine article. That's why when he said, when I speak, you, you know, they say by the word of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Jesus says, I don't even need a witness. I'm a witness for myself. And if I need another witness, my father is with me. He said, on what authority do you say these words? I say these words on my eyes. Verily, verily, I say unto you. Truly, truly, that's what verily, verily means. Truly, truly, I say unto you. Truly, truly, I am truth. And he's the faithful witness. It's his authenticity. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's not the first person to be raised back to life. Matter of fact, before he died, he raised several people back to life in his earthly ministry. And we know we have people in the Old Testament that were raised back to life. So this is not talking about first in, in, in terms of, of time. We're talking first in terms of position it's the highest position the highest priority this speaks to his priority the first speaks to his authenticity the second speaks to priority he is uno nuno number one the first when you start talking about jesus when you start the conversation you start because i'm the firstborn from the dead because what i bring when i got raised from the dead just like the first adam brought death the second adam that's me i brought life he died but i was raised again again i am the firstborn from the dead and that reminds us of colossians 1 it says for by him all things were made that were made in heaven and in earth visible and invisible whether they be thrones or dominions and principalities and powers all things were created by him and for him and he is before all things and by him all things 
consists and he is the head of the body, of who, which is the church, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all fullness would dwell. Woo! And he says he's the ruler of the kings of the earth. That's what he had to remind Nebuchadnezzar of in Daniel chapter 4. He said, you're going to have some trouble and some travail until you recognize that heaven rules. And God gives these kingdoms to whoever he wants. Nebuchadnezzar said he thought he ruled. And they said the words were still coming out of his mouth when he said, isn't this a lovely kingdom that I have created? All power is in my hand. He said the words wasn't even coming out of that, that cartoon balloon before God said, nah, son, <laughs> no, nah, we're going to have to fix this. We're going to have to make you go crazy for seven years until you recognize that heaven rules. He is the ruler of the kings of the earth. That's why he's the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. That's not about his authenticity. That's not about the priority. That's about the sovereignty. That's who he is. And then you pivot. And John just tells us three more things. And if you, you know anything about, you know, you think about Revelation, you think about it, it, things are in sevens and then things are in threes. It, it, these numbers uh, have some significance. So John's like here, Father, Spirit, Son, who he is. He's the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, ruler of the kings of the earth. And then what has he done for us? To him? Who loved us. To him who has freed us from our sins by his blood. And to him who has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. Oh, goodness. Who he is and what he's done for you and me. He loved us. That is the understatement of the century God loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life that was the outreach of God the outreach from God is always that God is pursuing you in a loving relationship he wants nothing more to be in a love relationship with you that is real and personal that's what God is pursuing that's the heart of God for all of his creation that they would enter into a love relationship with him through the person of Jesus Christ so you have to understand and be reminded of what has he done for us it's the outreach God loved you before you loved him God sent his son so that he he established his love for you by sending his son. You establish your love for him by responding to his son in obedience. He wants nothing more for you to see the revelation of truth that he loves you and he sent his son to die for you. And if you accept him, he says, I love you first. We love him because he first loved us. It's the outreach. John is tapping into the outreach here. He loved us. And because he loved us, he freed us from our sins by his blood. That's not the outreach, beloved. That's the output. He put his money 
Come on, somebody, where his mouth was. I love you. Let me show you how I'm going to demonstrate my love. It's not just the outreach. It's the, it's the output. It's the, it's the production. And I'm going to do it while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. When we were yet unlovable, Christ died for us. When we were not acceptable, Christ died for us. When we were lost in sin, Christ died for us. When we were scrounging around in darkness and preferred darkness over light, Christ died for us. I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and I'm going to free you from your sins by my blood. Because Hebrews 9 tells us, I believe it's not, without the shedding of blood, blood, there is no remission. There is no remission. Blood has to be shared to satiate a righteous God. There has to be blood. And what I love about God the Father is this. He provided to himself what he required of himself. He said, you can't get it done. Let me do it. I'm going to make the provision so that I can be satisfied and that you can be in relationship with me. And therefore, I will give you the righteousness that you don't have on your own because your righteousness, beloved, is as filthy rags. Amen. And so you need to be clothed in righteousness. And the only way you can satisfy your righteous deficit is to clothe yourself in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So he loved us and he freed us from our sins. And then on top of that, he made us to be a kingdom. He gave us an identity. He said, I want to I want to create some kingdom people and I'm going to make them priests who serve. The thing about priests versus everybody else is the priest had one thing that nobody else had, access. Don't come over here. Don't, don't, if they come anywhere near this mountain, it's going to be over for them. You roll in here on the wrong day, you do whatever, whatever, and you can't go in the holy of holies. No, you can't go, but the priest can and then a high priest on that the day of atonement could do certain things. But again, priests had access. He says, so not only am I going to take a people, I'm going to make them a kingdom. I'm going to make them a kingdom and I'll make them priests that will have access to me, unfettered access. And it's based upon the fact that they are now covered in Christ's blood and they're clothed in Christ's righteousness. They have everything they need to be in relationship with me. That is outcome that's what he was shooting for in the first place he had an outreach there was some output through his blood at the cross so that he might get the outcome that he wanted which is us as kingdom people together serving him priests serving him having access to him that's why at the end of that when you realize that he's talking about the authenticity of who Jesus is and we're talking about the priority of who Jesus is and we're talking about the sovereignty of who Jesus is and the outreach that Jesus did and the output that Jesus uh, was able to accomplish and the outcome that he was able to get you don't have a choice but to say in the next verse look to him be glory and power forever and ever amen and you throw the mic down it's finished it's over I'm not throwing this mic down because it costs too much But metaphorically, I'm throwing it down 
like John would. He said, and that's just three verses of the introduction. And then let's get into the book. But he said, I got to start you off. I got a level set. I got to let you know that we're getting ready to lean in. And in verse 17, uh, John says, when I saw him, the person that walked up behind him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first (laughs) and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I hold the keys of death and haze. I'm the first, I'm the last, and I added, he's the only. Yes, sir. The first, the last, the only. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are missing the boat. But you don't have to. As we conclude this sermon series, as we conclude talking about the ins and outs of God, this is the 12th message in that series. When we, as we conclude that, I'm so excited that we have covered the basis in terms of some real high theology and, and some real other things that are very, very practical. Everything that we've discussed is for our edification. Everything is not for information. Everything is for transformation. Take it in, marinate on it, but it's got to change your perspective, particularly, in my opinion, for you today to understand he is the God who is, who was, and is to come, and he's got it all covered. So you don't need to be discouraged and disappointed. You don't need to be displeased. You don't need to be distressed. You need to be conscious and content and confident because he's got it all covered.